Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. So the sermon this morning is a biblical vision for singleness, really for marriage and singles and the whole family of God. And how to prepare a sermon like this. What I did was I opened up a, the Bible and I opened up a little bit of searching software that I use and I just tried to get everything from Genesis to Revelation about singleness. And uh, I'm a pretty organized guy. Almost every single week, the sermon is done by 11 a.m. on Thursday. Uh, but this one went into Friday and Saturday. There is so much. This is, a, this is a much, much bigger topic in Scripture than I thought it was. So I looked at all those Scriptures, and then I was going to say, then I closed the Bible, but that sounds bad. So let's just pretend I kept the Bible open. But I, I kind of leaned back in my chair in my office right over there, and I thought about not imaginary like it never happened, but I imagined the memory of many, many pastoral counseling times that I've had in that office with members of this church, my brothers and sisters in their 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe even 50s, who have never been married and uh, are discontent about that, how I've prayed with them and counseled them. And then I thought about the many, many meetings, more than the first is the second category, where I've met in that office with brothers and sisters, members of this church, who just have gone through a divorce that they didn't want. And they went from married to single, just like that. Praying with them, listening to them, talking with them. And then I thought about the widows and the widowers, some in their 20s and 30s, more, more usually in their 60s, 70s, 80s. I visited a guy, member of this church. Uh, he's 80, I think. Recently, I was in his home and he, his wife went to heaven and he said, I'm 80 and I've never lived alone. I was 19, joined the army, lived with a whole bunch of dudes, came back from the war, married her for 60 years. We lived together. Now, for the first time in his life, he's living alone. Singleness shows up in all sorts of circumstances. And it's never easy. And so uh, I want to address this. Maybe the title this morning is A Biblical Vision for Singleness. The title for next week will be something like Godly Guidance for Singles and Marrieds. And it'll be, uh, you know, five or six, seven or eight practical points. This. The biblical overview maybe doesn't seem as practical, but I've always felt like this is the most practical part, is to see what God has revealed about it. We always want to know, well, how does this apply to the way I feel on Thursday at 4 p.m.? And God's like, back up and see, see creation, see the new creation, and then, then, you know, then you'll figure out what kind of person you should be at 4 p.m. on Thursday. So we want to get this big overview. And this is the kind of sermon where I should go ahead and give you the conclusion at the beginning. And I printed it there in the bulletin. The conclusion is that there is a forever family, but we're not talking about who you're married to and the kids you may or may not have. 
When we talk forever family, we're talking about the family of God, the redeemed in the church. Marriage and earthly families are for here and now. Gospel family is forever. Marriage is temporary. Gospel is forever. We know that Jesus says in, uh, what is it, Matthew uh, 22, the, he, he says, when we get to the eschaton, the final heaven, we will be like the angels, neither married nor being given in marriage. Marriage is a big deal here and now, but it's only a prototype. It's only a temporary model. Marriage is a shadow. And anytime there's a shadow... If a, if a brick wall is casting a shadow, maybe the first thing you see is that shadow, but you look up to the substance that's casting the shadow. The Bible says over and over again that marriage is a shadow, but the substance is the love that Christ has for the church. And so the love that is supposed to be present between husbands and wives and the love that is supposed to be present between mothers and fathers and their biological offspring or their adopted offspring, their sons and daughters. We know that that love is never perfectly present because they're all sinners. And we also know by faith that that love is meant to represent the only ultimate love that we will enjoy forever, which is the love that Jesus has for us and our love for him. The big picture is that God created sex and God created marriage in Eden. And they're a big, big part of this earthly story, but they have no part in the existence to come, in the life to come. Because the mystery of marriage will be fully revealed and the shadow will pass away and the substance will be Christ. So that's the conclusion at the beginning. So the way you should look at it is this, singles, marrieds, and the family of God. Instead of Every married couple in this church, like when I, even during the music, I was like watching, like which one of the people up here is single, which one's divorced. We're like, we're all, either we're married or we're single or where we're at. This is the deal. Instead of every married person in the church looking at the single people and saying, well, if you do it right, maybe one day you'll be like me. It's actually the other way around. Every single member of this church can look at every married member of this church and say, do you know what? In the eschaton, in the final perfect state, you will be like me. But to see this clearly, we have to see the, the whole thing. So look with me at Genesis 1. That's where we'll start. Seems like an okay place to start. In Genesis 1... God creates the man and the woman and he says he's going to make them in his image, verse 26, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that's on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then from Genesis 1, just drop down to Genesis 2, verse 18. Genesis 2, verse 18, when Adam's there and he hasn't yet created Eve, God says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. 
Genesis 1:28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 2:18, oh, it's not good that the man is alone. I have to make a companion, a partner, a helper for him. And so when you look, when, when you take that and then go all the way through the book of Genesis, the Adam and Eve, and then there's uh, Noah in Genesis 6, and then the big story starts when God calls Abram or Abraham, Genesis 9, Genesis 12, Genesis 15. And when God calls Abraham, he takes him out, I think it's in chapter 15, out to the desert floor, and he says, look up at the sky, count those stars. And he says to Abraham, so shall your seed or your offspring be. Be fruitful and multiply. And then in the Hebrew understanding, there's always this house, clan, tribe, because my seed and my offspring is this way. So if you look again at Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone. I want to give you the real meaning of that text, Genesis 2.18. It's not good for man to be alone. Because I think that it's possible that you think you know what that text means, but you actually draw your theology of that text more from the Hallmark Channel than you do from the Word of God. I really think that's the case. We read that text sentimentally. And we read that text to say, oh, God saw the man was lonely. And God said, the ultimate antidote to loneliness is marriage. Marriage is not. Listen, if you think that marriage is the ultimate antidote to loneliness, that is not going to lead to your happiness in this life. It is not. That engine ain't going nowhere and nothing, no caboose is following that engine. That's not the way it works. Marriage isn't the only or the ultimate or even sometimes the best antidote for loneliness. I've... This is not like hypothetical, like it never happened. This is like real, like it happened. I have counseled as a pastor too many people who have said to me, my greatest heartache and the biggest source of loneliness in my life is my marriage. And I've been privileged to be the pastor to too many sisters and brothers, some of whom are in this room right now who are single. And when I talk with them and I pray with them, they're not asking me to pray that God would alleviate their loneliness because they're not lonely. When I talk with them and pray with them, they're like, pray for this guy that I'm reaching out to, pray for this girl that I'm taking to lunch next week, pray for this, pray for that, because their lives are filled with meaningful love and God-oriented, God-blessed relationships that are, that are fruitful for Jesus. So don't interpret this passage sentimentally. What he's saying when he says, be fruitful and multiply, and then he says, it's not good for the man to be alone, and then he creates the woman and he performs the first covenant marriage. What he's saying is, this guy can't be fruitful and multiply physically, the, the, the house, the tribe, the seed, if he's not married. So from Genesis all the way through, can I just say something obvious and clear from Genesis all the way through the Bible? The only God-blessed, righteous way uh, to enjoy sexual intimacy or to have children 
is for a man, one man and one woman to be married in a covenant marriage. All fornication, all adultery, all same-sex sexual activity is utterly forbidden from Genesis right on through scripture. But this is the God blessing the sexual union. And um, it's not God alleviating loneliness as much as it is God providing for physical progeny, the seed and fruitfulness. Singleness doesn't always mean loneliness and being married doesn't always mean that you're no longer lonely. I mean, consider a single woman. Maybe she's never been married. Maybe she's widowed. Maybe she's divorced. There's probably, probably, I could probably pick out a name that fits all three of those, not hypothetically, but actually. Single woman in this church, member of this church, who volunteers in the crosswalk ministry with the seven-year-olds. And she does that, let's say, for 20 years. Why would she do it for 20 years? Because we're a great church. Why would anyone ever quit doing what they're doing here for 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Let's say she does it for 20 years. So for 20 years, she's, she's, she's taught the Bible to these little seven-year-olds. And whenever these Bible passages come up that have like violence in them or sex in them, she's not quite sure how to talk to the seven-year-olds about that. So she, she awkwardly figures it out and then they bump their head and she comforts them and wipes their tears. And today, today, that woman is in the congregation and a 27-year-old deacon of this church serves her the body and the bread of the Lord Jesus. And when he looks her in the eye, she knows that he loves her and appreciates her. She goes to the hospital. And a a 25-year-old member of this church who helps with one of the ABFs visits her in the hospital a kid that she had in her ministry. So when he goes into the hospital room, he's not like on a good deed Christian project where he has to like write down her name on his hand and remember who she is. She know, he knows her and she knows him. This is the kind of belonging that's gonna come in the family of Christ, the forever family. But in Genesis, in Genesis, And throughout the Old Testament, it's house, clan, tribe, seed, blessing. House, clan, tribe for the seed and the blessing. Here's a summary of that, of that, that whole Old Testament picture. This is from, and credit where credit's due. This book was, I I read this book this year when it was released, but I reread it this week and it really helped me. It's by Christopher Yuan, Y-U-A-N. He's a teacher at Moody and it's called Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. This is his, his three sentences where he sums up the whole thing. He says, when we look in the Old Testament, the emphasis is on marriage, family, and physical offspring. But when we look at the New Testament, the emphasis is on the family of God with a shift from physical offspring to spiritual offspring. Here is the radical truth on the family that Jesus inaugurates through the new covenant in his blood. The people of the old covenant grew by procreation, while the people of the new covenant grow by regeneration. Now, this is, this is moving us toward the New Testament, but it's too soon to get there. I want to show you one more place in the Old Testament. Look at Isaiah 56. Uh, the so- Psalms is a big book in the middle of the Old Testament, and then keep going. Isaiah is past Psalms. And I want to show you something in Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 is about eunuchs. Back to our... Uh, 
teacher of the seven-year-olds, she would maybe kind of struggle. Oh, I don't know how do I explain to these kids what a eunuch is? But let's, she figured out how to do it. And uh, in, in the aside here, in the, in the prophecy, in the poetry of the prophecy, I'm not, I'm not sure that this is literal eunuchs or it's a poetic way of saying those who have had no children. Could be either way. But it's single people that don't have children. So he says in Isaiah 56, verses three and following, Isaiah 56, verse three, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say the Lord will surely separate me from his people and let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. See, the eunuch can't say I'm fruitful and I've multiplied. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than, a monument and a name better than, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be a house of prayer for all people. This is kind of amazing here in this prophecy. God says in the Old Testament context where there's uh, the, the, the house, the clan, the tribe, the seed, the blessing, God says better blessing than your tribe and your fruitful household of sons and daughters. Better than that is if you know me and in the new covenant, I'll give you a greater name than just having sons and daughters. So those without physical offspring have a blessing better than sons and daughters. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because of the new covenant, which we see the, the expression of it in Jeremiah, but we see the activity of it in Isaiah 53. You know Isaiah 53? It's just a couple chapters back. This is where Jesus Christ is crushed. It says there in verse three, he was despised and rejected. It says in verse four, he bore our griefs. It says in verse five, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's where we'll be at the close of this service. This bread, his flesh was pierced. This cup, his blood poured out as he was crushed like in a vineyard to make wine. He was crushed for our iniquities. And I tell you, I had never before noticed verse 10, all the times I've read Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offspring for guilt, an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his land, in his hand. You see that in verse 10, he says he shall see his offspring. The Lord Jesus, poetically in this expression, a eunuch, one who was single and never married, but he will see his offspring. And I never noticed before the first verse of, verse, of chapter 54, sing, O barren one who did not bear. 
chapter 54, verse one, sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be no more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. I never saw that verse in Isaiah 53 and that verse in Isaiah 54 leading up to this wonderful expression in Isaiah 56. I never saw that before. And I read that chapter before. I, I imagine those verses were there unless they added them sometime in the late 80s before, the, you know, last time I read Isaiah. But th I never noticed them before. But you see this blessing that God promises to the singles, to the eunuchs, and it comes from Jesus seeing his offspring so that the barren one can break out in song. Old Testament covenant, the seed of Abraham, the clan, the tribe, fruitful and multiply by having children. The new covenant in Christ's blood, the new covenant in Christ's blood. It's no longer the clan and the tribe and the children, or if, if it is the clan and the tribe, it's that by this blood, we are all from the, from the tribe of Judah. And by this blood and by this body, we all are now disciples who make more disciples in the one family of the Son of God, crushed for us, risen for us, ascended for us, returning for us. And we are fruitful in his name, by his spirit. So with this Old Testament background, jump with me to the New Testament and we see Jesus talking to a guy who knew Isaiah backwards and forwards in the Hebrew, this guy named Nicodemus. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, palin genesis, unless one is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. The entrance to the kingdom is not by physical procreation, but by spiritual regeneration. This is what Peter says, 1 Peter 1, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable. Children are born into God's family. Children receive an inheritance in God's family, not because of clan and tribe and household, but children are born into God's family and receive an inheritance in God's family through regeneration. So, so single people in Christ have no disadvantage in sharing that inheritance with the next generation to come. It's not through marriage and family. It's through gospel ministry and making disciples. So we go from Genesis 1, 28, be fruitful and multiply, to Matthew 28 and verse 19, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. In Genesis, in that inauguration of the old covenant in Genesis, God says, be fruitful and multiply. In the new Genesis, which is the beginning of the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, that new Genesis, in the conclusion of Christ's earthly ministry, where he, as it were, hands the ministry over to us, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Make disciples who will make more disciples. And this is, this is the pattern. So sons and daughters in the New Testament aren't the house and the clan and the tribe. Sons and daughters in the New Testament are new disciples. Paul had no biological sons and daughters, but Paul says in Philemon, Onesimus is my child 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, Timothy is my beloved and faithful son. Paul says in Titus, Titus, you are my true child in the common faith, Titus 1, 4. And Paul says to all the Corinthians, as if it's a pastor speaking to a whole church, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 15, I became your father through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know this is the case. We know that there are single members of this congregation who have, by God's grace in their life, brought new members into the family, not by procreation, but by regeneration. You know it in the single men and women who are currently right now working with our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, the widows who are working in our crosswalk ministry, the married couple that has had no children, but who help to lead an ABF. And in those relationships, they have so many brothers and sisters and so many sons and daughters. This is the pathway to belonging and love. It's a little bit like when Jesus says, in the world, everybody thinks the pathway to greatness is if you get everybody to serve you, you're great. But I say to you, the pathway to greatness is to be a servant. It's a little bit like this. Jesus, hear Jesus saying to us this morning in this whole text, uh, in the world, they say the pathway to belonging and love is having the family you've always dreamed of. But in my kingdom, the pathway to belonging and love is serving the body of Christ in Jesus' name. This is where it's at. There are aspects of being single that, that incorporate loneliness and hardship, but it need not be a, a sort of life-dominating loneliness. And in Christ, it ought not be that. We're just coming off a short series on evangelism. I think I told you while I was preaching on that, that for once in my life, I tried to practice what I preached and I kind of challenged myself in that series that every week I was preaching on evangelism, I wanted to have three chances to share Jesus. And I'll tell you this, when I was on my toes like that, I was never lonely, I was never bored. <laughs> because being active in Jesus' service, that, that's the pathway to belonging, to love, to purpose, to meaning. I visited one of our elderly sisters, uh, Tuesday of this week, Ida. I don't know if you know Ida. She usually sits in the second of the back row on the right side. Ida's 94. Apologies to Ida if she hears this message online and I revealed her age, but she probably won't mind. Ida is single. She's, a, she's sharp. Uh, speaks, I think, four languages. And I visited Ida in the hospital. And I, I sat down next to her in the hospital and I just put my hand on her cheek and I said, Ida, this is such a bummer that you're here in the hospital. And she says, pastor, don't say that. I was like, wow, I should call you pastor because apparently you're rebuking me right now. <laughs> and she, said, she, she says to me, Tuesday at the hospital, she says, when I'm at home alone, I'm at home alone here in the hospital. Did you know people come in your room all the time? <laughs> and she says, since she, she looks at me clear eyed and Ida don't lie, she says, Every person that has come into this room, I have told them, Jesus loves you. Do you know that? And she expressed that to me. I read scripture with her. I prayed for her. And then when I was walking out of the room, there was a male 
CNA and a female nurse that were coming in to take care of her. And because, you know, I didn't have a lot of family around here. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be her good family. And, I t- and so I said, hey, wait a second. And I talked to the CNA and this nurse. And I said, hey, Ida is a very important lady. You guys need to take good care of her. And they looked at me and they said, you're her pastor, huh? I'm like, how did you know that? I'm not wearing a collar. Like they said, well, we, we were just waiting for her pastor to come visit her. She, I, don't even, I don't even know if this CNA was a Christian, but he says, I know that Ida must be some kind of committed Christian because every time I go in there, she tells me, Jesus loves you. And then she asks me, did you know that? <laughs> every time. You see, that hospital room could be a lonely place. And if you're single, I'm not saying there's no loneliness in your life. What I am saying is that the pathway to love and belonging is not that you will maybe magically find another person who will fulfill all your loneliness. I'm saying the only pathway to belonging and love is Jesus Christ and gospel belonging and gospel sacrifice in his name. This is the truth the big picture truth from the old to the new about marriage and family. Don't you think this is why early in his ministry, Mark chapter three, you don't have to turn there. There's this big crowd and Jesus' family can't get to him. And, uh, the, and his mother and his brothers come and they're standing outside and the crowd's sitting around him and the crowd says to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answers them, who are my mother and who are my brothers? And looking about him, looking about him, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, this one is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus is not rejecting family. We know from the New Testament, we honor our marital vows, we do a good job raising our kids and nurture and admonition of the Lord. Jesus is not rejecting family, but what he is doing is elevating the forever family and gospel ministry in his name. Later in his ministry, I uh, remember this in Matthew 19, when they, they said, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, I heard, a, I heard an unforgettably riveting testimony from a same-sex attracted man who is a Christian, who is fiercely devoted to holiness in his life, and who at this point thinks he'll never be married, but he is following Jesus. This was his text when he gave his testimony. See, we've left everything and followed you in Matthew 19. And Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has let go of houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. For many who are first are last, but the last will be first. Marriage here on earth is not ultimate. And if you miss out on marriage here on earth, you miss out on something but you don't miss out on the best thing, not even close. Romantic and sexual love here on earth can be great. It can be wonderful. It is wonderful. But uh, life can be really good and really sweet without it. And it certainly won't meet the deepest longings of your heart. There's only one who will do that. 
Can I say it this way, just by a small word of pastoral counsel? If you are discon- if you're single and discontent, I'm telling you, if you get married, that may take away 28% of your discontentment. I can't do the math in my head, but whatever the balance is, you're still gonna have that. I've been pastor to too many uh, single people who have said to me, being single is the worst thing in my life. I have been, pa- I have been pastor to more married persons who have said to me, being married is the worst thing in my life. There is one, there is one, there is one love that will meet the need of your heart. I speak as a man who has all that he wants and more from his wife and his family. But that doesn't meet the needs of my heart. Not the, deep, not the deepest ones. And it would be wrong for me to ask them so to do. I wouldn't be free to love them in Jesus. Only Jesus. And so, you know, the, the last thing to say is just kind of what Jesus says about the last things. And it's this tricky passage in Matthew 22 where they're like, this guy was married and then he got, and then they died. And so in heaven, which one's gonna be his wife? And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 22, verse 29, in the, in the new heavens and the new earth, in the eschaton, in the end, we will be like the angels in heaven, neither marrying nor being given in marriage. Marriage and romantic love and sexual union is not a part of the life to come. So we see this big trajectory. In Eden, in Eden, when God made Adam and Eve and he joined them in covenant marriage, there was no singleness, only a married couple. They were fruitful and multiplied. When that fruitful and multiplying is finished in the old covenant, and then when the fruitfulness and multiplying of making and training disciples is completed in the new covenant, in the new Eden, in the new Eden, there will be no marriages but one. The marriage of the soul and the redeemed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Marriage here and now is temporary, pointing to what is ultimate. So church, don't let me hear you say that Christ's relationship to the church is like a marriage. Rather, let me hear you say that marriage is like the ultimate reality, which is the sacrificial love of the Son of God for his church. And don't let me hear you say that making and training disciples is like having children and growing a family. Rather, having children and growing a little earthly family is like what is ultimate, which is gospel ministry in the forever family, which is the family of God. And we know this, if, and I believe it does, marriage and romance and sexual intimacy ends in the new heavens and the new earth, Guess what else ends in the new heaven and the new earth? All unfulfilled longings, all tears, all discontentment, all disappointment. So I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know what it's gonna be like when we get there, but I know this, it's gonna be better than the best we've experienced down here. It'll be better. When we give up 
marriage and household and sexual intimacy. We will give up nothing because of the joy and the soul's fullness of love in Jesus Christ. The, the love and the belonging that we all want from our family, that very love and that very belonging will be amplified and beautified for we will see him as he is and seeing him, we will all together become like him in the splendor of his glory. This is Jesus. He is, marrieds, singles, he is the only one that our soul needs Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give to your family to rest in your love for us. Give to your family of singles and marrieds to cease striving, to cease looking for on the earth what cannot reside here. Let us rest in your eternal and perfect love for us. Hear your children and bless them, Lord Jesus. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.